Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, the co-host of Biotech 2050. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a two-sided tech marketplace where we're organizing and democratizing access to worldwide life sciences expertise in order to accelerate the development of new therapeutics. And I'm today's co-host, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. Both Rahul and I are excited today to welcome Stefan Kantos, the co-founder and chief scientific officer at Enochion. Stefan will be talking a little bit about his uh, entrepreneurial journey, how he came to found a pretty prominent biotech here in the Boston area, along with this passion for autoimmune diseases. Stefan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Alok and Rahul, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Maybe to kick us off, we'd love it if you could give us an intro on your background and sort of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I was originally trained as a chemical engineer from the University of Texas and you know, realized very early on that I'd like to do other things with an engineering degree, uh, particularly in the, in the biological sciences. So pursued then a graduate school at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, where I joined the bioengineering department in the lab of Jeff Hubble. So my thesis work there at, at the EPFL was focused on the immunology behind apoptotic cells or, or naturally dying cells. So I was asking the question, how does the immune system respond to or, or sense these naturally dying cells and, and process them in a manner that makes sense to keep the immune system healthy? It was a fantastic experience. The, the EPFL is an extraordinary place to do great work as a graduate student, very nicely funded. As I was telling Rahul earlier, the facilities, the curriculum that they put together is just top-notch. It's a pleasure to be there. During that time, you know, working on the project I mentioned, developed a platform technology that can modulate the immune system in a manner that's beneficial for the treatment of autoimmune diseases. And so in that work, which was, which was successful through publications and the like, realized very early on during that work just how potentially powerful this technology could we translate it? Could, could we give it wings and, and ultimately take it to clinic where we could offer a real meaningful benefit and a whole new way of treating autoimmunity? So that was in uh, about 2011. So remember one day after, after my thesis defense, sat down with my, my advisor, Jeff, at the actual, it was a local bar at the, at the campus called the Satellite Bar. I think it's still there. And, um, you know, we were just, we were talking shop, you know, we were talking about how pleased we were with, with the progress that the project was making. You know, we talked a lot about translation. You know, th- this was a theme throughout certainly Jeff's lab, my thesis. You know, we didn't want to be inventing for invention's sake. You know, we had a very translation relational twist to the way that we would see things as bioengineers, very integrative sort of how engineering can be used to learn about fundamental biology and sort of this feedback loop that ultimately should be used, we we thought, uh, we think, can be used to develop or new technologies that just absolutely must be translated. So in that in that conversation at the bar, you know, again, talking about how well the project was going, we started talking a lot about, well, what would it take to translate this technology to clinic? You know, what benefit would it offer? How would it be indeed differentiated? And it essentially ended that, you know, conversation with just bubbling enthusiasm. Uh, so with a handshake and an empty glass, um, <laughs> decided to found Enochion. Um, and that how, was just how drunk were you guys? <laughs> <laughs> it was just one. It was just it was actually midday. And full disclosure, <laughs> it was just one. But so that was that was day one. Um, and you know, very early on, immediately thereafter, we expanded the founding team, which as 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 I'm sure you know, it's essential. So we expanded the founding team to five. So myself, Jeff, my my advisor at the time. 
Kristen Lorenz, a very talented scientist who I was collaborating with closely in the lab on the technology. Oscar Bousset headed up finance, and David Lowen, who uh, headed up IP and legal. So that was the beginning of Enochion. The first five founders, we used to have, you know, company, we used to joke about having company-wide meetings at this small Italian restaurant. You know, we would sit in the back um, and just talk about company strategy, how things were going on fundraising with investors. We also used to have, even early on, had good interest from um, in the biopharma space for partnerships. So we would always sort of page in and, and sort of talk about what exciting, uh, you know, new new steps we would take in the week to come. So that was the early days of Enochion, the founding team. And those those memories will always, I'll always hold near and dear to my heart. We'd love to just uh, uh, dig in a little bit about um, just the financing history mm-hmm. and where you guys are right now and, and mm-hmm. what that path looked like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As I said, so we we started in Switzerland. We, at very first, you know, as I mentioned, after that meeting, we immediately put together our deck, started going out on the road, pitching to venture capital, both in Switzerland, in the rest of Europe, in the United States. At the same time, we developed relationships with a close network of high net worth individuals that are essentially a who's who of biopharma in Switzerland. You know, these would be small family offices or individuals themselves that would be interested in, in sort of business angel sort of investing. And that was a very interesting experience, I have to say, because there, as, as I'm sure you know, right, the, the pitch was more tailored to the individual and, and talking about how they could be part of, you know, what we, what we believe will be a translational and transformative story in, in the treatment of, of human health and, and, and in autoimmunity. And we did succeed in raising a, a formidable round, a seed round with those angels, so with those high net worth individuals as private investors. And they remain actively engaged to this day. So we, we meet them every year. Um, you know, they love hearing updates. They're very active, active investors in the right way, active in the right <laughs> way, um, I would say. Um, and it's been an absolute delight, I think, just to have that personal connection with a personal investor that obviously saw promise in the science that we were developing. You know, our, our chairman, Mike Lehman, once said, he said, you know, Stefan, dreams without dollars are just dreams. <laughs> and as I'm sure you guys know, in, in our industry, it's absolutely the case. And, and, I, and I share that sort of, I definitely agree with that. And I've shared those stories with our investors because I absolutely think it's, you know, it's true. And, and you know, we'll forever be, you know, thankful and, and grateful for the, for the support that they've shown us. And they continue to show us. So those were the early days, our seed financing. It was the first, you know, non-grant check that we ever <laughs> deposited into our account. And that really gave us, you know, a little bit of gas in the tank to get going, hire a small team, get some space, do those critical experiments to kick the tires on the technology. A rule that I like to live by in the lab is if you're going to fail, fail quickly. Be efficient about it and learn along the way. Learn from it and own it. It's something to be respected. So we would do those kinds of experiments with with that early seed money. And that was just, it was very, very beneficial to the overall scientific strategy that we put together and that's lived on to this day. Then in 2014, we raised a Series A uh, financing round, a bona fide Series A with a group of a syndicated group of uh, venture capitalists, so Versant Ventures, Novo Ventures, and Novartis Venture Funds, and um, they've all been a fantastic group to work with. Really leaning in, very engaged, again in the right way, offering not only you know connections to networks but actual human capital as well. So we had our chief business officer for the first period of time was from one of the venture funds. His name was Carlo Rizzuto from Versant. And that was really helpful to get us off the ground, have someone dedicated to business development. We're a platform technology that 
it's just ripe for all these sorts of partnering opportunities. And to have Carlo at the table through the investor syndicate was just was just instrumental. We learned a lot from him and he was very effective with us. So that Series A financing 2014, it was in Swiss francs. But I think in, in those days, dollars was about $37 million, which was, you know... That, Even by today's standards, it's pretty substantial. Yeah, yeah, it was a substantial round. And, and, it, and it really, again, provided us that, that gas in the tank to get going. So there we full throttle, pedal to the metal, advance the technology. We actually made also some decisions on our technologies. We had multiple platform technologies and enabled to do those, again, killer experiments um, that could help us direct the scientific strategy moving forward. That's the sort of two main financing events to this day. We've also raised a Series B recently from insiders, as well as, uh, you know, we've struck a very valuable and transformative partnership with uh, previously Celgene, now BMS. They bring so much to the table. It's been an absolute delight to work with their team. It's a very experienced team of biopharma professionals, deep knowledge of immunology, and they come as as partners, uh, as real partners to the table, offering scientific insight, assistance, guidance, support. It's just been a really fantastic partnership. So throughout the financing road, we've been fortunate. Throughout the partnership road, we've also been fortunate. So it's been a delight. At the end of the day, it sort of sounds like uh, people are sort of the core part of it, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, maybe before we sort of continue on, one of the topics I'm personally curious about and I know we have a lot of uh, listeners who come from sort of the academic area and who are perhaps current students or current mm-hmm. postdocs and, and scientists. What advice would you give individuals who are currently, say, finishing up their PhD mm-hmm. and aspire to be an entrepreneur like yourself mm-hmm. in the biotech space on the topic of fundraising, right? It's not something that you learn a lot about. Uh, can't learn about it in a book, that's for sure. Right. School doesn't do a good job of teaching you how to do it outside of grants. Right. So what advice would you give uh, fellow students? It's, it's a great question. I think, um, so I'll speak from personal experience. I did have a great coach. So Jeff had previous entrepreneurial experience. I learned a ton from him. M- my advice for those today would be, you know, it's been a pleasure to see these organizations at universities. I know it was the case at the EPFL in Switzerland, certainly the case here in the Boston area, these sort of university-born entrepreneurial groups that I think are, do a good job of connecting you with, with the community, to find coaches. I think MassBio has a program. And I, I would say dig in, you know, take advantage of those opportunities because you're absolutely right. I agree with you, Alok. It's, it's nothing you can read from a book. So, um, you know, get out there, partner, network, and, um, you know, drink from the fire hose. You know, you're, throughout your thesis, throughout, throughout your, your academic work, you're taught to be extremely diligent. Well, you become a master of a particular domain. And you know, I'd encourage folks to continue to learn. So, so to have a mindset where after your thesis, you can be the world's expert in, in X, but that journey never ends. So, so continue to learn, be open-minded about you know, the way that investors see things, learn about the way investors see things, modify your pitch to speak to your audience, know who your audience is. You know, cool science for cool science sake, again, you know, is, is different than an investor who's looking for value, who's looking for what your value proposition is. Again, the recommendation would be get into that network. I think there's a, there's it, it's it's very vibrant. I think there's some great learning opportunities. Don't be afraid to drink from the fire hose and keep an open mind about continuously learning. You mentioned that you guys were a, a platform company from the early days and the need to execute on killer experiments. Right. Now, given the prevalence of platform companies, or at least mm-hmm. how many folks have ambitions to be platform mm-hmm. companies, were there any best practices that you learned or any advice that you could provide in terms of how to create that 
killer experiment or to figure yeah. out which indications or models yeah. to go after? As a platform technology, I'd say that one lesson that we learned very early on is, is focus. It, it's, it's very tempting to diversify and, and to sort of, through a data-driven exercise, determine how you'll ultimately select your strategy. And that's tempting as a scientist, as a data-driven scientist. Ultimately, though, you've got to make some decisions. You have to be careful not to be spread too thin and be a mile wide and only an inch deep. So part of it is, is sort of just strategic thinking. But I'd say another part of the equation that we really found helpful was to get the technology into other people's hands. So we were fortunate to have, a, a cl- and we continue to have a, a collaboration with Jeff Hubble, who's, who's now at the University of Chicago. So the technology that we've developed and co-developed with him throughout the years, it, it's, it's in multiple labs and it's been across the world. And those kinds of experiments have been done in multiple contexts by multiple people. Um, you know, there's not just one instance or one way in which it works. And I think having the courage and, and the understanding for how valuable that is, is ultimately how I think platform technology companies put their technologies to the test and, and really that acid test, you know, because if it doesn't translate in multiple indications, that's fine mm-hmm. because it could be that a platform is just better suited for a particular subset of applications. That's totally fine. But I think nonetheless, getting it into other hands, doing those controlled experiments as well, you're not afraid to fail. Because once again, if you're going to fail, fail quickly. You know, you can continue to invent. You don't know if maybe that killer experiment will kill something, you know, or, or will teach you that there is a limitation. Don't let that scare you. Think about how you can overcome that limitation. Hopefully you've got a brilliant team of folks that you've built, a team that you've built, a bunch of folks in the, in the room that can help you continue to innovate, or it's, it's all a team effort. So, you know, again, have that courage. Don't be afraid of failure. There could be an invention just along the way. The other aspect that you had mentioned, you know, a moment ago, which I thought was quite critical, is the aspect of team building. Mm-hmm. You know, I often juxtapose uh, the academic environment to startups, the former being sort of an army of one to some extent, and the latter being a team sport. Sure, today's academic world is far more collaborative and, you know, you have a group and such, but at the end of the day, the effort that you personally put in is sort of really directly correlated to the output that you get. Given the quantity of capital you've raised, the size of the team, the ambition that Enochian has, can you give us some sense of how you've grown the organization from a personnel perspective, culturally, et cetera? Absolutely, yeah. So, so I've had the pleasure of building three teams in you know two different countries, Switzerland and then Cambridge. And, and there, there's a couple themes that I've learned along the way. I'll pause here and say that it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, the team building aspect of this entrepreneurial journey is one that I found a very enriching experience. I've met fantastic individuals along the way that I'll always call close colleagues, and, and I'm very thankful that they've been part of the Enochion story. When we were first hiring, you know, a wise person uh, told me, uh, Stefan, when you're hiring, think of this, you know, B players hire C players to get the job done. A players hire A plus players to improve and continue to innovate. And I think that really, to me, instilled this concept of find the best talent that you can. And by talent, I mean, not only technical proficiency, not only proficiency in one's domain, but find the right team member. Techniques, or at least in, in the lab for certain lab roles, certain techniques are, are teachable. There's certain concrete experiments, techniques that one can train. Training personality or, or training that teamwork part of the personality is much more challenging. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our team 
as we as we grow and we look for new talent, we always make sure that we're finding the right team member that also has the right skills. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but that's where we place a lot of the focus, and and we do so during the interview as well. So we'll focus our interviews and our recruiting strategy around making sure that the folks that we're bringing in are indeed good team players, and that can indeed come from from an academic group. I mean, we've got we have you know fantastic leaders, actually directors in our in our team, where Nokia is their first professional mm-hmm. experience or first non-academic experience, mm-hmm. I'll say. So so it's it's not you know black and white. It's not mutually exclusive, but you know those folks have come in always with a good team attitude. And there's a couple you know things that I like to mention in an interview. One is. I do probe on this question around teamwork, that it's that it's essential that one recognizes the, the power of a team together and a collective group of talented folks that are trying to solve a problem that are unified by, by one mission. And what I also try to test for is the comfort with not only teamwork, but, but challenges that you approach as a team. So as you mentioned I look in in your in your thesis or in an academic space, you nose to the grindstone, and if it's not working, you go even further. It's mm-hmm. it's nose to the grindstone even even further or even more intensely. I think in a biotech or in a collaborative entrepreneurial or small company, it's it's certainly not nose to the grindstone, but it's about connecting with those to your left, to your right, all around the room throughout the entire company, not only to learn from them, but to solve the problem together. That, that's the whole concept. And in the interview, I, I talk about these concepts. And there's actually one thing that I always like saying in an interview, and that's there is no slow lane at a Nokian. There is no place to hide. There are no corners where we just sort of, there's a, there's a project that we have on ice and one person you know babysits it. And I say that because absolutely everybody is on mission-critical activities. That's, I think, how you get critical ownership instilled throughout the organization, which is all sorts of powerful. The other thing I say in, during an interview is there's, the, there's only one thing I can promise you. It won't be easy. <laughs> and it's sort of half as a joke, but also to say that it, it will be challenging along the way. You know, we work in life sciences. Biology uh, is always more complex than we think. And um, if to you the challenges around translational biology means opportunity to learn, means opportunity to innovate with the team, Anokia is the right place for you. That's the kind of conversation I like having in, a, in an interview. How, how large is the team now? It's about 50. Okay. And um, at what point did you stop interviewing all candidates that are coming through? <laughs> That's a good question. I just interviewed a, a summer intern last yeah. week. So I, I find it a pleasure to be involved in, in a manner that makes sense. I, I don't need to be decision-making you know, at all stages. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But I just find it a pleasure to connect at a human level with who's going to choose to come to be part of Anokion. But to answer your question directly... Role. Things have changed in the past 12 to 18 months, yeah. so things have just continued to get busy and busy, So, as, as does my time. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are some good tips for, uh, for candidates that are coming in for interviews. Oh, there you go, yeah. yeah. Maybe I gave away too much. <laughs> 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 Would love to just chat a little bit about what changes you saw when you moved the company, uh, or I know the headquarters is still in, in Switzerland, but when you moved the majority of the company to, to Cambridge, mm-hmm. and what were some trends that you observed or, or challenges that you faced? Speed was one notable difference. I think I was coming here, I was traveling to Cambridge, Boston, Cambridge area, two weeks a month, and then I would go back to Switzerland two weeks a month. I was doing that for a year and a half um, as we had two different sites open. And and there was a difference in sort of the intensity and and the speed with which things were done. You know, one thing that, that I appreciated coming here is with a handshake and the right conversation, you could get a lot done. You know, I was sort of 
solo for a while coming over here and, and managed to build up the space, two different spaces actually, two different labs, build a team. Of course, I wasn't alone, but one, one set of boots on the ground could get a lot done is, is what I'm saying. And that's a little bit different in Switzerland. Again, Switzerland was a fantastic place to found a Nokion and for it to you know, grow in its early days. I do like the, the amount of substrate that's, that's here from a talent perspective, but also from an infrastructure perspective, from just, just the business is so well understood here. And that was really beneficial for how swiftly we could make progress, we could build up, we could build a team and, and, and really advance the programs at Enochion. So. You know, uh, as you think about the, the two ecosystems, and we've obviously had folks, you know, thinking about Florian, for example, from, from Zagino, who have built companies or built portions of their companies on, on either side of the, the Atlantic. Any quick uh, high-level thoughts around the uh, strengths and weaknesses of either ecosystem uh, when you think about it from a biotech or entrepreneurial perspective? That's interesting. Again, I think the strength in the Boston-Cambridge area is the amount of substrate. I think the strength in Switzerland is how open-minded they are to global innovation and global science. So I think, I think Boston and Cambridge areas, there's so much going on here. It's, mm. it's, it's hard not to be saturated just by listening to what's going on in your neighborhood. I, I totally understand that. One thing I had noticed in Switzerland, too, is that it didn't have to be in your neighborhood uh, in order for you to know about it. You know, it, the Swiss ecosystem did a great job of just mining the progress, in it, mining meaning keeping up to speed with the progress just throughout the world. And that's not just in Europe, it's certainly North America, you know, Asia and, and the like. So those were, I think, two differences in, in perspectives that I experienced working in, in both sides of the Atlantic. I have to say the quality of the science and the quality of the folks, though, on, on both sides is just, it's just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is, I think, one question that we uh, always love to ask, which is, as you reflect on the past almost decade uh, in Nokian's history, you've seen not only, obviously, Nokian's growth, but the broader industry's evolution, mm -hmm. right, since 2010 till now. Do you feel like we're in the golden age of biotech right now? It's an interesting question. I think, you know, certainly the amount of innovation, just, just the magnitude of innovation on the technology of natural sciences or, or of biology. And I don't mean, when I mean technology, for instance, I'll give an example. So Enochion works in the immunology space. Um, we work a lot with, with T cells, B cells, and, and just having experienced just the changes in what one can do, the kinds of experiments one can do over the course of Enochion's history, that's changed mm -hmm. and is terribly exciting. So when I first started in the lab, you know, you had to assemble larger genes, you know, DNA strands because it was just too laborious and too difficult to, to sequence or to, to synthesize something very long. Nowadays, it's, it, it's not at all the case. You know, you just save so much time. Sequencing has gotten much cheaper, much quicker, and far more sophisticated. One can interrogate the immune system in, in, a, in a level of detail that's, that's unprecedented, right? So you can talk about single cell sequencing, single cell profiling uh, in an immune system that has 100 million cells, you know? So now on the flip side, what do you do with that information? So I think where the field is, is I think asking itself very appropriate questions now is as we develop all these high content technologies that help us tease out all these detailed mechanisms, how do we think holistically about those data? I'm not a data scientist, but I have a ton of respect and, and enthusiasm for the future of how data science can be applied in, in life sciences and in biology to just catapult us into a whole different world. That's my perspective, I think, just on my own experience over the past 10 years, seeing how things have changed in the lab 
uh, and, and out of the lab and, and sort of what it could mean for the future. So I think it's an exciting time today. I think Enochion has grown to a level we're extremely delighted by. We're very optimistic about our prospects for success. And I think in part it is due to these innovations that we continue to experience in the community. As you talk about Enochion's growth, what are some of the processes or things that you guys have learned that help with maintaining culture as you go from inflection point to inflection yeah. point and, and continue to grow the company? Yeah. Culture is, is just so important, as, as you know, and as is obvious. One thing we've learned along the way is just be good human beings. I mean, that, that was our first, that was our HR strategy starting off. It, it was sort of, we didn't have a director of HR. We just thought, let's just be, you know, just genuinely good human beings. And, and I think we, we've kept that. Be, be close with the folks that you're working with. Again, they've, they've chosen us as part of their own careers. And to me, the way I see it is that's a very fulfilling experience. It's also, I think, in us, in our leadership, it instills a level of responsibility, of, of mission to work as a team that have chosen Enochion, right? And they have a bunch of choices. They've chosen Enochion to be part of their own personal history, to invest their time and, and blood, sweat, and tears. So, so a sense of commitment, a sense of commitment to the culture and commitment to the folks that are on your team, I think is very important. So part of that is trust. Part of that is transparency. So what we found very effective as a management team is be, be truthful, be, be transparent. You know, it pays back in, in so many ways and in so many intangible ways in your culture. And also the culture isn't yours to own, isn't, isn't ours to own. It wasn't built by us. It was built by the team and it was built together. So a good example of that is, you know, at Enochion, it was team members, our, our actual culture committee that uh, developed the mission statement and the core values for the company. It wasn't the leadership team. So I think recognizing that the leadership team does not own the culture, but placing it in the hands of those that ultimately build it gives them that critical ownership. And we, we found it just to be just an awesome experience and, and, and very valuable. To wrap up, we'd, we'd love to just hear your perspective on the future of autoimmunity. It's, it's obviously a burgeoning field right now with lots of companies that are tackling various different indications. We'd love to just hear what you think is going to happen over the next, you know, let's say, 10 to 20 years. So maybe I'll start with an explanation of the Enochion technology, because yeah. I think that, that might help. So, so the, the Enochion technology specifically modulates parts of the immune system, cells in the immune system that drive autoimmune disease. And we signal this mechanism in those cells called immune tolerance. So immune tolerance is the process by which the immune system is taught to become tolerant or to become non-responsive towards self-proteins. This is actually one of the root causes of autoimmunity, where a patient with autoimmunity has an immune system where they attack self-proteins, and, and thus you, you, you have autoimmune pathology. So the Enochion technology specifically modulates only the disease-causing cells. It leaves the otherwise healthy components of the immune system intact to perform their natural protective function. So it's a very targeted, very specific approach, very specific technology that gets at the underlying mechanisms of autoimmunity. Now, we believe that's very unique and very differentiated. And for years in autoimmunity, there have not yet been approved therapies that are very specific. There are, there are effective therapies that are, to use the metaphor, a heavy hammer. So to quell 
or to downregulate large portions of the immune system. That comes with the therapeutic benefit. It also comes with some secondary complications. And so while those drugs have been instrumental for patients for years, I think it's time for us to do better. I think we can do better. And we believe, and I believe, that the Enochion technology can be part of that better future for patients with autoimmunity. More specificity, that sort of innovation that we're seeing actually right now in immuno-oncology, right? So we do not work in oncology today. Um, it's a sort of a, di it's a different mechanism what I'm talking to you about today. But nonetheless, that innovation that we've seen over the recent years in immuno-oncology I think it's time for us to do the same in, in autoimmunity. And, and, I, and I know that Enochion today is committed, and we, we are committed to a long-term innovation, a long-term therapeutic differentiation in the way that we think about treating autoimmunity and to serve the needs of patients. What specific indications, because obviously autoimmunity is a very broad space, what specific indications excite you the most at the moment? So we just started our, our clinical trial in celiac disease. Um, we also have a program in multiple sclerosis that's, that will enter clinic soon. Celiac disease is an interesting example. It's certainly, there's an unmet clinical need. There's about 1% of the United States population are celiac patients. That's over 2 million folks that have no approved treatments. There are no approved treatments for celiac disease. You know, a gluten-free diet is challenging for so many reasons, not only because it's difficult to find gluten-free food, but even, even then, celiac disease patients, you know, have to be very careful, extremely careful when they travel or when they go to a restaurant. They become very sensitive to gluten exposure, and that can be not only anxiety-driven uh, driving, but also it can cause one to end up in the hospital. And there's no approved therapy for this many patients. And so we're just very excited about what we believe we can offer as we advance in clinic, the opportunity to address that underlying cause of celiac disease, of that autoimmune disease, offer a real treatment for celiac disease. So we're very excited, very excited about it. So, you know, maybe to close out, the aspect of Enochian I think is very interesting is that there's, at least uh, from your founding uh, story in your scientific career, historically, a strong engineering and materials, mm -hmm. biology, mm -hmm. right? And now it sounds like cell therapy, right, mm -hmm. is a component of uh, what you guys are looking at or leveraging perhaps in some way. As you think about the next generation of modalities, right, it kind of feels like you're touching upon a couple how do you sort of think about that for the next generation of therapies that yep. are perhaps going to disrupt a lot of the yep. current best-in-class medicines out there? Yep. I think it's going to be about integrative biology, how to think about integrating all of these learning, all of these advancements across all those different areas you mentioned, Alok, that could be combined or learn from one another to develop new strategies, new therapies that could be just synergistic or absolutely game-changing in autoimmunity and, and in other indications. So for me, I think the future technologies will be ones that, that do integrate all the learnings from, for instance, deep sequencing, high content sequencing, mm -hmm. new generation chemistries, new generation gene editing, cell therapies. Who's to say that just one of those is going to be the best therapeutic option? Biology, as I said earlier, very complex. M might it take more than one, all three? A future theme that I would look forward to, and, and I do look forward to, is one that encompasses this integrative approach to biology. And whether or not that's engineering or, or, or fundamental biology, I think it's, it's all part of the community, right? So I think um, I'm terribly excited about how, how that's going to play out, again, as these technologies develop and as the teams and, and, and companies think even more integratively. Well, you know, Stefan, we'd love to thank you for uh, being on the podcast today. 
I think we're all really excited to see what happens with Enochian, uh, especially as your, uh, your initial clinical trial uh, pans out. And uh, hopefully you can join us again in a couple months or in a year or so and uh, recount uh, what that experience is like. We're very excited. I'd look forward to doing so. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. It's produced by Jean Merlane, edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050Pod. Again, that's Biotech2050Pod. Until next time.